0: I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Lodge number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work when you put in the work you get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back, brethren. I hope you had a great weekend or whatever, but I'm here to increase your Masonic muscle with some more research. I recently came upon this article And the article is called Another Thought About the Origins of Freemasonry by Jack Nichols Mogus, Past Master. It was presented to A. Douglas Smith, Junior Lodge of Research, 1949, on August 30th, 2003. And then it gets into the whole, the opinions presented in this paper are strictly of the blah, blah, blah. I think we all know that, right, guys? I mean, if we start a uh, podcast, uh unless we have like the official seal of the grand lodge or the official seal of the lodge that you're a member then maybe you understand that hey he's speaking for them but other than that why do we got to keep repeating that but they do and so this was presented like i said in 2003 and this is what it says let's see if this rings a bell brethren There are many thoughts, speculations, and even fantasies about the origin of our craft. The one thing everyone seems to agree upon is to disagree with everyone else. Let me offer another thought this day, possibly no more convincing than any of the others, certainly no less convincing either. For centuries, the Romans had built stone edifices in what we now call England. Administrative buildings, residences, temples, and roads. Lots of roads. The demise of Rome began in earnest during the reign of the Emperor Glycerius, 473 to 474 AD. The Vandals descending upon Rome during the reign of Julius Nepos, not Nipples, Nepos, N E P O S, caused that emperor to expedite the recall of the Roman legions from Britain. The final hours of the Romans were in the reign of Romulus Augustus from 475 to 476 AD, who is commonly considered the last emperor of the Western Empire. In those last days of the empire, emperors had a noticeably short tenure. With the recall of the Romans, and they had recalls back then, Didn't we just have a recall in California or an attempted? Anyways, with the recall of the Romans, there was no one left in Britain to maintain the stone buildings or to erect new ones. The local indigenous population not only did not build in stone, but they were extremely superstitious about any stone construction. The closest they would come to to it was building their wood and straw lean toss against the sides of the stone buildings. No stone masonry at all, and none for another 150 years. Around 622 AD, a monk of the Benedictine order named Benedict Biscoff found himself in the area of what is now Wearmouth, England. Being a bit frustrated with all the variances, misapplications of the order of his namesake, He set off for Rome to petition Pope Boniface V, 619-625 to AD, to permit him to establish a monastery at the mouth of the Wire River. He made two trips to Rome to visit uh, Boniface V in attempts to accomplish his goals. Neither adventure was successful in any manner except that he became known in the Holy City and to some as a pest. The term stonewalled had not been in common usage at that time. Boniface V was called to his just rewards in 625 AD, and being a rather interesting character in his own right, one can only wonder what those rewards might have been. At any rate, our hero, Benedict Biscoff, decided that with Boniface V now being out of the way, he might have better luck with the new guy, the I. Taking advantage of the fact that Honorius was new to the office and quite busy carving his mark on the throne of St. Peter, Benedict set off once again for Rome. This third attempt also met with disappointment because Honorius was indisposed. Just when was the term Stonewall first used? Undaunted and a determined fellow, to be sure, Benedict struck out once more for Rome. Unfortunately, this all took place before the age of frequent flyer miles. He arrived there late in the year 626 AD. To his great surprise, Anarius not only granted him an audience, but also granted his wish to establish his abbey in Weyermouth. There are several schools of thought as to what persuasion was used by Benedict, none of which, however, should concern us to date. Benedict and his close followers fancied themselves as builders, or perhaps even architects, and were excited about the opportunity that lay before them, however daunting the task might have appeared. In his many travels to and from Rome, Benedict had ample opportunity to observe and to study the stone buildings and edifices of France and Rome. He took the time to speak with and to learn what he could from these builders in stone. On his final return to Britain, Benedict persuaded, ah, there's that word again, numbers of these craftsmen to travel to Britain with him. Actually, he persuaded a few, who, acting under his authorities, shanghaied many more. These craftsmen, now under the authority of Benedict, who had the authority of Pope Honorius' Charter in his pocket, traveled freely to their new home in Britain. With the new abbot, Benedict and his monks, supervising the stonemasons, now free stonemasons, began their work on the abbey of Wiremouth. The abbey and its cathedral and associated buildings were arguably among the first non-Roman works in stone in modern Britain. These masons proved themselves so capable and efficient that Benedict, for a time, hired them out to various nobles who wanted their own stone buildings, probably the first subcontractors in history and quite possibly the first Freemasons as well. Thank you for your time and attention. So we go back and we're talking about 622 AD. Up until now, the articles that I presented that had anything to do with the Benedictine and Cistercian monks in Scotland and in uh, England... Building and and uh, intermingling with stonemasons, architects, engineers, because they had to have you. You need all of those professions to work together as one in order to erect, especially some of those huge monasteries that were erected. I was talking about eleven hundreds, twelve hundreds, thirteen hundreds. The Regis manuscript is from thirteen ninety. And here we're talking about 622, 626, uh, 625. Interesting article. Interesting article that came out that was presented on August thirtieth, two 2003, and which was presented to A. Douglas Smith, Jr. Lodge of Research, 1949. And they are out of... Virginia, hey, Grand Lodge of Ancient Free and Accepted Masons of Virginia. So you have you have Masons and you have, you know, I'd imagine non-Masons as well, doing some research. And a lot of these dots seem to be, a lot of this information seems to be right there, right like on the surface or right beneath the surface, but it, we need someone to point It out to us lodges get so busy throughout the year like I've mentioned before you become a a junior deacon you become a junior uh, senior deacon and all of a sudden you are just trapped in this cycle of hurry up and wait so that you can be qualified and know all your ritual work for the first second and third degrees in your particular office so that you're ready to advance and the whole lodge the lodge as a whole or the leadership as a whole somehow gets locked into that mentality and when that happens we're not watching uh, the effects we're not paying attention to the overall effects of the rest of the membership because you begin to neglect them i've been guilty of this other masters have been guilty of this and then you begin to hear the gripes of I'm not going to Lodge because all it's about is state of meeting and handling business and the administrative aspect, and I'm not learning anything. Anything like what? Well, anything like what I just read right now. Wouldn't it be fantastic if some of these members began to get it through their little lizard brains that It might behoove us to begin to get it as part of a regular philosophy of a lodge that the majority of the members have to consider staying in their chairs until they learn what they have to learn. Because you're also going to be learning the educational aspect. You're also going to have time to figure out what your particular niche is within the craft. Now, if your lodge is geared towards Masonic education, where you're going to have to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your um, reason for joining was because your grandfather was a Mason. You have joined a lodge whose main focus is Masonic education, so you're going to have to figure out a way to contribute to that. You're going to have to figure out a way to increase your Masonic muscle in that In that area and so hey if if uh, you're a chef then talk about the festive board talk about the necessity to the need and the importance to break bread together and how this tradition has been with freemasonry since uh, almost the beginning even if you accept the the monastic masonic origin those brothers broke bread every day Every day, at the end of the day, they got together and certain group of, they all rotated. Certain group of monks were tasked to be the cooks for that week. Certain group of monks were, you are you are the servers for this week. Others, you are the cleaner picker uppers and so on. So everybody understood how it worked, and everybody's contributing to the work. And when you read Anderson's Constitution, what do you read? You read about the quarterly feasts, right, being reactivated. Quarterly communications, quarterly feasts. These are some of the primary aspects, uh, you know, things that you read about in Anderson's Constitution. And you read about the history, which when you read the history, is far out according to how we see the world now. But that's how they saw the world. But uh, wouldn't it be great? I mean, what if your lodge is, their focus is one of those uh, lodges where all of you guys, like in Hollywood, or I I forgot where it was at. They were aspiring actors or entertainers. So they opened a lodge that was open during the day so they can go perform at night. All right. And I think you would feel a little out of place, right, if you were to join that lodge and you weren't a musician or an aspiring actor or something to that effect. So these lodges do form and they do have their niche. And if it's not your particular cup of, key, uh, cup of tea, then why would you join it? You would want to join a lodge where the members are more to your liking. I remember uh, when I interviewed Dago Rodriguez and I asked him about, and I put the question to him because a lot of times you, you're sold the back of goods. And well, and you hear the old cliche well, I joined the lodge because I wanted to be among a group. Of like-minded people. And when I asked Dago about that, Dago said, no, that's not true. You're not joining a Lodge of like-minded people because they're all coming from different backgrounds. But what if the Lodge, once it came together and it began to decide what it was really about, like these uh, observant Lodges, and even before, before them, you, had, you have the Lodge of Living Stones out in England. Founded, created by Wilmhurst, which is almost impossible to join because of the waiting period and the, the strict you know the, the strict rules that they have for you in order for you to join that lodge. and that's, that's their own members upholding that that standard. And there's another word standard. All lodges should have standards because the moment you you lower the standard, you have no standards I think in for amazon a company Amazon, I think eighty hours a minimum, I think is for they expect you to work eighty hours minimum a week eighty five hours for you to be considered for a promotion and like ninety hours. For you to be promoted. And that's not being promoted by the company. Bezos or whoever. That's amongst the employees. They have set that standard. Because when they went to go work for it. The standard was set so high. And there were such high achievers. High performance people. That they wanted to maintain that. They loved it. They loved the challenge. And I think. In my opinion. A lot of lodges are missing that. That's why you're suffering, brothers, because that standard has continued, was lowered at some point and nobody was there to raise the standard back up and continue it up and then continue to raise it to a level that they knew was going to create high performance individuals and high performance activities, ceremonies and everything in between was a call for excellence and i think that's part of the the problem that's happening with our lodges is that the reality is that many lodges do not know why they're even meeting i mean we have our charter and the charter says you know to make masons but The group of Masons have to get together and figure out why they, as a group, want to show up to Lodge and what they want to do and how they want to practice Freemasonry. And then uphold the standard. I don't think I'm crazy, am I? You let me know. Write to me at MasonicMuscle357 at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts. And that was our our Masonic education for the day. Another thought about the origins of Freemasonry. And it got a little bit deeper into, or it gave us another, it highlighted another aspect of this uh, monastic Masonic origin theory. And it gave us more light on it. I don't think this is one of those theories that can easily go away. I believe that uh, we conveniently push it to the side, and I don't know, I don't know why, to, to tell you the truth. I'm just here to present these things to you and give it to you in such a way that it stimulates your mind. Hopefully, it stimulates conversation amongst you and your brethren. You talk about it. I mean, I won't just talk about the monastic origins, you know, I'll talk about other origins because the origins of Freemasonry are truly mysterious. That goes without saying. I think, I think we can all agree with that. And so I think this episode has come to its conclusion. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, beating the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom. And remember, brethren, when value is clear, Decisions are easy.